Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Janine Between the Lines. Literature and lifestyle for sure. Happy Tuesday. It's a Tuesday morning, and I'm super excited to be recording today because we got some fancy new equips. Yeah, I went in and as an early graduation present, got myself one of these fancy old Roadcaster Pros. So you guys will have to let me know exactly how the quality is going in the uh, just let me know, tweet me, get at me at some points. But it's really exciting. <coughs> Excuse me. Can't wait to show you guys. Uh, today's episode, I kind of wanted to start. Is there a number of series that I don't want to start? Also, pardon um, the rasp in my voice. Uh, currently drinking my morning coffee and wanted to hop on and kind of talk to you guys about the books that I've been reading uh, for the past three months since the beginning of this year. This is what I want to call it, and I'm workshopping it. I just thought it was kind of whimsical, uh, but I want to call it like Janine Reader's Digest. And kind of give you my little reviews on the books that I've been reading up to a certain point. So I've got three on the list today. I've got Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. Colleen Hoover, man. Hyped hyped author at the moment. Um, the Manning Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore. And Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendez. So if you would like to listen uh, to how I feel about these books, then just keep on listening. Thank you again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So I figured why not start off just problematic first thing in the morning <laughs> those are my uh those are my thoughts when I wake up and if I'm feeling spicy then that's how I uh, govern my day but you know it happens I'm just so sorry I'm so distracted by this new setup office and recording space is pending hopefully I can tap into my interior decorating um, side that I never knew I had and really dress this place up. You guys have, like, in my mind, the setup is pretty awesome. We have this beautiful office. Um, I'm going to have to do some uh, some really digging to get inspired on how to uh, present this in a more um, appealing way. Nevertheless, I've never been more excited to uh, record episodes, so I hope you guys are having a great year so far. It's been pretty great on my end. Um, got some really exciting things in the works, and you guys will be hearing about that soon, and it's kind of like what spurred on getting this new equipment and everything. I've been meaning to get, you know, upgraded for a while, but um, things pending, to be determined, to be announced. So stay tuned. But the first book that I wanted to discuss was Ugly Love by Colleen Hoover. Now, when did Colleen Hoover pop? I feel like a lot of my girlfriends on Instagram have 
been on their own little book journeys and are kind of like logging which books that they've read, rating them, and kind of, you know, keeping a chronological, um, like, list of how many books they've read this year. Um, And Colleen Hoover has been in about 80% of my, of those girls' stories. So the one that I kept seeing kind of circulating the most was Ugly Love, so I decided to pick that one up first and see if that was kind of the determinant of her like writing style and if I would, you know, vibe with her writing. So basically Ugly Love, I'm going to try to give the briefest synopses of all of these books, but of course I'm, you know, there's there's more to what I wrote down. But basically what I wrote is, woman falls in love with a man who doesn't want a serious relationship, so they attempt to have casual sex with no strings attached. They both catch feelings, and it turns out he has a broken past, but finally in the end they end up being together and i've read a ton of books like this and she has overwhelmingly like head over heels fans but i'm gonna say guys i i know i'm in the minority i don't know i rated it a five out of ten and I feel like I give grace to a lot of books, but I, I don't know. I I really was in the mood for, like, a steamy, romantic, kind of mysterious book. But I didn't get that vibes from this one. And, of course, you know, this is the first book that I read from her. A lot of people recommended other ones, so maybe I'll check those ones out. But you ever just read one book from an author and you're like, yeah, I'm probably good. I'm probably good if that's how it is. I should be more open-minded. If you have a Colin Hoover book that you think blows this one out of the water and will change my mind, please send me a message on Instagram because I would love to love her and I'd love me a good romance book. But I just felt that the narrative was super predictable and really, I mean, you can hear my voice. It was like sometimes cringy. Like it was kind of a reach in like, trying to make things a little more like romantic than they than what was playing in my imagination at least and you know when I read it at first I was like oh she's <laughs> you'd think I would be more into it considering like the protagonist is a nurse she's a nursing school or you know she's getting her um like an advanced degree or something like that but I don't know it's still it still definitely felt like a reach to me and um I feel like the main, I don't even, I, I bought the, I rented the online book and I don't have it in front of me right now, but the main, um, the man that she's lusting after, I don't know, he didn't, like, you know the feeling you got? Just reminisce for a second on how Edward Cullen made you feel when you first read about him. I'll give you a few seconds. And this, you know, this this guy didn't really, he wasn't as riveting. Um, he definitely was, like, the descriptions made him sound, like, super mysterious. And in terms of mysterious men, like, I love reading about them. But like I said, with the plot being pretty predictable, I I don't know... Nobody really wants a mysterious man. 
Is that a reach? Tell me if you agree or not, but realistically, like this woman who has a great career going for her and she's working on herself and, you know, moved to San Diego, starting this new life. Um, I don't know, maybe I'm like relating it too much to in person and I know this is a fictional story, but honestly, nobody wants a mysterious man unless you're single as a freaking Pringle. And you don't want anything serious. But she's wanted something serious from the beginning. <laughs> so, I don't know. It didn't seem very... It, it was actually a quick read. It was a quick read. I probably finished it in, like, two days. Um, but the only reason why I finished it is because I was reading so fast, hoping for something, like, to, hoping for it to give me a little more zhuzh. Like, oh, this part seems like it's going to be the next best part. But then it ended up kind of disappointing so please please don't hate me five out of ten ugly love wasn't impressed that was my first January book and then I move on to the Manny Tree Witches the Manny Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore I gave I'm realizing that I'm maybe I'm a hard critic who knows but Manny Tree Witches by A.K. Blakemore um, basically the premise is family of witches in, uh, I think 1600s England really gave me Year of Wonders vibes, if you guys listened to that episode. Um, but basically, Coven of Witches in a town, there is a man named John Eads who proclaims himself as the witch hunter general, and I don't know what is going on with me, but I'm in such, like, a witchy mood right now. I think moving to Boston and being super near Salem, these are my influences, <laughs> um, that has really uh, had me interested in them. But also, Year of Wonders has made me, like, just really piqued my interest about that area and winch, winch witch hunts in general. And... Um, I don't know. I never, I feel like I like the realistic because, you know, I was never really a huge, like, Harry Potter fan or anything like that, but the fantastical realm that I'm more into or I'm really in a witchy mood is what I'm really in a roundabout way <laughs> trying to say. But basically, the witch hunter general goes to that town and he's sick. He's a creepo to the max, and really weird stuff goes down. Do you love my very vague synopsis? I'm trying to do it just in case you guys want to read it too, but I gave this one a 7.5 out of 10. 7.5 out of 10. Um, and that I don't know what my uh, rating scale consists of, but I did think that the book was really amazing. I finished it in about five days, but mostly just because I had a lot of work going on. So I highly recommend this one to anyone who's into kind of like that witchy era. The character development is pretty awesome, and the writing was very, uh, very, very dark and creepy. There was one quote... In the um in the book, I remember I put it down. I was like, "What in the world? This is John Eads guy." So it was on page one forty six, and this is kind of 
an encapsulating sentence of how the whole book, <laughs> not the whole book, but how the setting is throughout the whole book. So it says, returning to his chamber, he climbs into bed once more and draws the gaudy drapes tight. He dreams of slender ankles and white necks, of a girl peeling her skin off like a snake. It makes him hard. It makes him feel sick. These, his delicate firebrand darlings. There's not even a period. It's, it's just a dash. And for some reason, that speaks volumes to me. So, if anyone has any other recommendations for um, Wiccan witch type of novels, I don't really want romance ones per se, but historical fiction is kind of like my ish right now. It's it's really it's really getting me there. And then lastly, I picked up in honor of Black History Month, I picked up Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendez. Recommended to me by um, a an associate over at All She Wrote in Somerville, Mass. And shout out to this bookstore. It's beautiful. I am in front of their bookmark right now. And their mission is um, an intersectional inclusive feminist and queer bookstore that supports celebrates and amplifies underrepresented voices to readers so they had a whole black history month section and i took my pick because the um the summary and the uh, the the cover art was beautiful so really visually appealing um basically Janine's version of a synopsis, the book starts out um, with a man from Jamaica who moves to England with his family for a better life, but it ends up during his uh, work, he goes blind and can't work anymore, goes into the struggle of that for, I'd say, the first third of the story is what it feels like, and then it moves on to the perspective of Jesse, um, and Jesse is pretty much, he was born into a family of Jehovah's Witnesses, and he ends up being excommunicated due to um, his journey regarding his sexuality and his his um, kind of life's path that leads him to sex work and kind of navigating um, his identity. So I rated this one, like I said, I'm a hard critic. I rated it a 6 out of 10. It was a little bit slow for me. Um, the I, I do love the way that Paul Mendez used his, his, the language that he uses in the beginning part of the book when in regards to Norman's story. It really puts you into his shoes when it comes to hearing the voices of the people he's interacting with. And you can kind of hear his voice in your thoughts as you read. Does that make sense? 
what kind of writing style it takes a a very like skilled writer I feel to really put transport you into a setting and be able to see through the main protagonist's eyes. I think he did that really well. But regardless of that, I did feel like it was a little bit slow for me to get through his story. It wasn't a difficult read, but I just felt that it really picked up more when it moved on to Jesse's story because it was um, approaching the years that I I was actually alive (laughs) and could relate to a, a small portion of his struggles um it gets pretty it gets pretty spicy it's quite explicit um and there are parts that are very heart-wrenching when it comes to his feelings of isolation and his failed attempts at connection um kind of to strangers because he's never felt a true connection before and watching him try to navigate that it was very it was very touching um let's see uh so jesse's story kind of jazzed it up a good bit but then towards the end i want to say like the the last quarter of the book it started to slow down again and i found myself towards the end just okay i'm ready for this book to be over um but i think that the message that it sent was it, it it is a very important um aspect that a lot of people need to read about and there are a lot of I have a lot of friends and friends experiences that I've been um honored to have been told that really made me relate to Jesse's struggle and going through that in terms of you know coming from a religious family and not feeling accepted and having to independently kind of figure out you know your journey in life being different from everyone else around you and um being criticized ridiculed and abused for you know your sexual preferences so it it was touching I I still rated a six out of ten I wasn't I wasn't drawn in the whole time but definitely a very a very very rewarding book to say the least and I want to touch on a subject that you know it, it's not well, well I guess it does relate the reason why I was thinking of this wasn't because of this book but there is a situation in this book where Jesse begins to start working at a Michelin star restaurant and as a server and there was only one other um, Jamaican woman working alongside him and both of them definitely there were tones during his situation that kind of highlighted how both of both Jesse and that woman were very targeted in terms of um, their peers and their bosses not believing that they would be able to do the job well. They were constantly targeted in terms of their physical appearances by guests and kind of hypersexualized and um, what's that word? Oh, a lot of people had 
some sort of fetishes for for Jesse at that time. There was a customer who wouldn't stop complimenting, uncomfortably complimenting his lips and his hair and really making very uncomfortable comments because he looked different than any of the other servers that were working there. So that really just, I don't remember what spurred it, but luckily that does kind of relate to um, rainbow milk as well. But I was thinking about the importance of racial visibility and transparency and how that has increased during our generation. Let me explain. I don't know if that's the right word that I'm thinking of, but I'm talking about in terms of exposure for uh, minorities to have public figures and men and women and superheroes that aren't your typical um, standard white male or female that dominate media and movies and shows as they did back in the day when we were kids. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, I don't want to say her name wrong, but there's been a lot of buzz and I am so invested invested in um uh in the Katanji Brown Jackson um just viral videos that are going around on the speech that she's done and the I don't know when they were in that meeting just that whole hearing and everyone kind of hyping her up like it's been amazing it's so empowering to see people uplift her and it really I can I know in my profession I'm going to be teaching adults but it doesn't really matter but when I think of children in the classroom and seeing that on tv and going around on social media it really gives people the gives kids the thought that you know say a small black girl never thought that she could ever aspire to be somebody in government and then sees Katanji, that's that's amazing to me. And in terms of relating that to my own upbringing, I think, and people can, I'd love to discuss this further, but when I was growing up, the only, it's gonna, it's kind of going to veer off, the only kind of exposure that I had to women in like my professional life and as an adult and what I wanted to be when I grew up I had you know outlandish things that not outlandish but you know things that I said that I wanted to be when I grew up that were kind of childlike you know things I wanted to be I wanted to be a ballerina I wanted to be an astronaut but not really just because I liked the stars and all of that but what was presented to me when I was a kid, and this is no fault, this isn't a hit on my upbringing or anything like that, but in America, as in a Filipino-American, you're not presented with a lot of possibilities of what you are realistically, or what your parents realistically want you to do when you grow up. It's all about financial stability and 
I was convinced, not convinced, but I was motivated to either go into the medical profession or I don't think I was convinced to do anything else. That's kind of where our culture kind of centralizes around because of financial stability. I think I have a few Filipino friends who maybe their parents wanted them to be engineers or something, something that would earn you good grades and something that would be stable upon graduation. We didn't have any real heroes that were, you know, doing anything out of the ordinary, so we didn't have anyone to look up to or to aspire to at that point. And when you compare it to now, and with, you know, the expansion of social media and the visibility of the successes of everyone, of every race, of every color, of every gender, I think that's so important. And now any little boy or little girl can, uh, you know, can look up and say, oh, I want to be a writer just like XYZ and feel seen and see adults that look like them that they can dream of being. And I think that that's really important. I, you know, if I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid and or when I was growing up and that's something I wanted to aspire to be, it would probably have given me joy to see like other Filipina successful writers around that time because otherwise our parents would have been like, oh, that's not going to make you any money. That's not something that you would want to professionally pursue. You're not going to be happy. You can't earn a living around that time. But now, you know, there's so many other options for professions, and we don't even have to get into the idea of, like, working in America, but it's the pursuit of happiness has become a lot more... Um, personalized and fluid in terms of the standards of what I had when I was growing up and during those teen, preteen, approaching college, kind of that kind of environment. So I'm really happy about that. I've been thinking about that a lot. And I know a lot of people are on the uh, on the Jan side of child procreation at this moment. And a lot of people are, <laughs> I'm making wide generalizations here, but there are times when I think, oh, I don't really want to bring children into this world. But also, I think with technology and with the opportunities that, you know, people have, people are able to create their destinies and create a life that makes them happy, independent of you know, what is expected of them, and it's more about being happy now. I think a lot of people have realized that than the pursuit of money and stability. Because money, you even if you have money and stability, that doesn't automatically make you the happiest person in the world. So I thought that was a good sentiment to reflect on. I think that the only the only Disney princess that we ever 
aspired to be was Mulan. And in terms of creative professions, the only person that I'm thinking of, oh, well, that's kind of a typical, like a stereotypical thing about Filipinos too. If like most of them can usually sing very well, and then if you didn't, then <laughs> it was kind of like, oh, that's weird. You're not good at karaoke, and you don't want to step up to the mic automatically, and you don't know Leah Salonga's song. Weird. So, yeah, I think that having such an open world right now and having the ability to identify with with others and having children be able to look up to figures that aren't just cultural norms is so important and that's something that I really look forward to in the future being able to show my children that they can aspire to be anything that they want not just what society says is expected of them or what is even just logical I just want my kids to dream I feel like I wasn't I wasn't told to dream I was told to you know be safe be smart and, um, you know, take the least risk possible. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the thought process behind that. So anyways, those are the three books that, uh, I've, I've been reading for the past three months. The book that I'm working on right now, it's called, it is by Kazuo Ishiguro, and it's called The Remains of the Day, and so far, so good. I, um, At the moment, I'd rate it at about a 7 out of 10. I'm about halfway done, but so far, so good. That will be in my next little, uh, maybe I'll call it like Reader's Roundup. That's kind of cuter name is being workshopped but thank you guys for listening to this quick little episode I am so excited to be recording more consistently I want to record at least once a month that is my that's my goal and maybe even like I told myself possibly every two weeks or so so just stay tuned. I definitely will be doing more of these Reader's Digest, Reading Roundup kind of um, kind of episodes. So if you have any book recommendations, please, please, please send them to me on Instagram and Twitter. And if you are even harder of a little Janine BTL or a little Beetle of mine, I'd love to have you on as a guest. Let's talk about a book together because... This, uh, this little roadcaster thing is pretty legit. So thank you again for listening. I love you all. And I'm using the uploaded freaking, uh, you know, the uploaded sound boards and music on the roadcaster. So theme songs and stuff pending. But I just want to say thank you again. I love you guys. Have a great rest of your day. And see you in the next episode. <laughs>